Well, let me ask you, can anyone remember the event that took place, a significant event that took place on December 31st, 1986? Now, to just give you a little hint, the exact same significant event took place on December 31st, 1972. Really a quite significant event. It was on those two days in recent history when time literally stood still. Now, it wasn't a a miracle of biblical proportions, but rather it was a phenomena of modern science because it was on those two days that the atomic clock at Greenwich, England, was stopped by scientists to allow the spinning earth to catch up with that ultra precise timepiece by which all of the clocks in the world are set. Think about it. Every single clock in the world is set based on that one clock. And on those two days, they had to stop the clock so that the world could catch up with this timepiece that keeps time. Now, the reason for that is scientists tell us that the Earth's rotation is slowing by one one thousandth of a second every single day. The earth is losing speed at the rate of one one thousandth of a second every day. And so periodically, the the atomic clock at Greenwich, England, has to be stopped so the world can catch up with the time. Isn't that amazing? I thought that was just so intriguing to me. Now, I don't know about you, but there are many weeks, in fact, many days when I wish time would stand still. To give me an opportunity to catch up with my schedule and the clock on my wall. You know, particularly around Wednesday, uh, 5 o'clock p.m., when my sermon isn't quite done yet, and I know they're waiting for my outline, my manuscript to be emailed here. Uh, It's then that I wish time would stand still, maybe just for an hour, two hours, to give me an opportunity to finish it so I'm not late once again in getting my manuscript here to the church so they can put together the bullet and all. But you know what? It never seems to stop when I need it to stop. And it seems to me in the circles in which I live and where I work, it seems like everyone I know is almost constantly behind schedule, feeling the pressure of time, never having enough time in their day to get done the things that they need to get done and are constantly thinking, boy, wouldn't it be nice if I just had a few extra hours in my day? Seems like we're all behind schedule, whether it's, you know, kind of the harried housewife who is busy making breakfasts and fixing lunches and ironing clothes for a busy family, or whether it's a business person with a pressing project deadline Or whether it's a a teacher working on lesson plans or a student who's, you know, studying for a final exam or some important test. It just seems like there's never enough time to get everything done that we need to get done. Now, the amazing thing to me about that is in spite of all the modern technologies that's been created to save us time. Answering machines, email, elect, you know, cell phones, iPods, TiVo, all these other things that have been designed ostensibly to save us time. We seem to be busier than ever before. Now, think about this just for a minute. Think about how much time you would save in your day and in your week if all of those time saving technologies weren't available to you. If there was no TV 
No cell phones, no answering machine answers to answer, no emails to respond to. Just think of how much time you would recoup in your day if you didn't have to respond to all of those time-saving technologies. I mean, all of a sudden, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. It'd be like, whoa, gee, what do I do? Time just seems to have a way of slipping away from us. You know, it's kind of interesting. When I was growing up as a kid, my grandmother had a plaque on the mantel over her fireplace. It always intrigued me as a kid. I never quite understood what it meant until I got older. And now with every passing day, it becomes more and more real to me. She had this plaque that said, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like no matter how hard you scurry, how fast you move, how disciplined you are, it seems like you're never quite caught up with what you need to do. And I don't know if that's I think that's just probably a problem with us and the culture in which we live. But there's hope because uh, we can become people who discipline ourselves to make the most of every minute that we've been given by God. What can we do as followers of Christ to truly honor God with our time, to make the most of every minute, to take advantage of every opportunity that God provides to us to live for him, to to impact and influence the world? The crazy thing is, even as Christians, sometimes we are so busy crashing through life at hyperspeed that we never have time to slow down and notice all of the countless opportunities God provides every single day to influence someone for him, to make a difference for him, to truly live an eternal life right now. And when you think about it, time is our only unrenewable resource that we've been given. Once the time is gone, it's gone forever. Once your money is gone, you can earn more money. There are a lot of resources that are renewable, but time is not one of them. You have that second once and it's gone forever. And so if it is that valuable, we need to learn as believers how we can use it to the best of our ability and make the most of every moment that God has given us. And in Ephesians chapter five, I know for most of it, it seems like we haven't been in Ephesians for a long time because, well, we haven't for a long time. But we're going to pick right back up here with uh, Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 17. Because I think Paul shed some spiritual light on time management and how we need to live so as to make the most of every minute that we've been given. And I think it's important because as followers of Christ, as members of the body of Christ, God cares about how we use our time. There's many passages in the Proverbs and other places about wasting time and frittering away time. That's not a a good thing to do. So how can we learn to make the most of every minute? Listen to what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 through 17. He says to the Ephesians, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Very interesting. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Now, I think in these 
three short verses, Paul shares with us two steps that we can take to make the most of every minute we've been given by God. And if we're serious about it, I think it can make a significant difference in how we live our lives and how we deal with the time that God has given us. And the first step that we can take that will help us make the most of every minute is we need to learn to walk with wisdom. We've got to learn how to walk with wisdom. Look at verse 15 again. Paul says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but instead, he says, live like those who are wise. Now, it's interesting when Paul says, be careful how you live, that word or that phrase, be careful, literally means to be alert, to be vigilant, to be careful, to be sensitive. It's the idea of living your life on a daily basis with vigilance and alertness. Being aware of what's going on around you and what's happening around you. And when I read that, I get the, the picture of, of hunting because I'm a, a bird hunter and occasionally a deer hunter. And it's very interesting when you go hunting and you get out of the truck and you get your dog out and you enter that first field. All of a sudden, all of your senses are just hyper sensitive. You are walking and living very carefully as you enter that field. And you're very vigilant and alert and sensitive to everything that's going on around you. Every little rustle of the brush, different sounds. You watch your dog for any kind of little change in the way he's wagging his tail or whatever because there might be game nearby. And so you're walking with every step carefully, looking and waiting hoping that something flies up and that you're prepared to take advantage of the opportunity. You know, when you're a hunter, you don't just put your shotgun on your shoulder, your rifle on your shoulder, and just trudge through the field, you know, singing and talking to your buddy, hoping somehow that you're going to see a bird. I mean, every bird or deer in the country is going to be a thousand miles away if that's the case. You see, you've got to walk carefully. And I think that's exactly the picture that Paul is painting for us today when it comes to walking with wisdom, being careful how we walk. We need to be people who are going through every day of our life alertly with vigilance, being careful to notice the different opportunities or situations that God might be opening us for us to insert ourselves into to make a difference for him. To have an eternal impact that might change someone's life for eternity or care for someone. And Paul says that's how we should live. And it's a very important implication here because he says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. The word wise that Paul uses there refers to applied knowledge. When you're a wise person... You are taking the knowledge and information that you have and you're applying it to daily situations. You see, just because you have a Ph.D. degree does not mean that you're wise. You might be intelligent. You might have a high IQ. You might be smart, but you're not necessarily wise unless you apply the knowledge that you have in a very practical way to everyday situations. That's what wisdom is all about. And the antithesis of wisdom is foolishness. See, we often say that knowledge is power. Well, that's an absolute lie. Knowledge isn't power. Knowledge is nothing. It's just a bunch of information unless you apply the knowledge. 
then it becomes useful and powerful. The fool is the person who knows a lot of things, who has all kinds of knowledge and information, but does not apply it to their daily life. And Paul says, don't be like that as you live your life. But be wise. Apply the knowledge you have. And so walking carefully through this life as a wise person, not as a foolish person, means that we need to take the knowledge that we have about who God is and what's important to him. What are his priorities? How does he want us to live our life? We need to take all of that knowledge and apply it to our daily lives. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, what's important to God? What does God care about? Well, we know God cares about the proclamation of the gospel of his son. That's very important to God. That's one of the main reasons he's left us on planet Earth after he's redeemed us. We know from Scripture that God cares desperately for the the homeless and for the poor. We know that God cares about the hopeless and the hurting. We know that God cares about justice and mercy and all of those things. We know that God cares that we grow into the image of Jesus Christ. So we know all of those things, some of us from years and years and years of sitting under preaching and Bible studies and Sunday school classes. But here's the question. Are we applying all those things we know about God and what's important to him to the choices we're making in everyday life. Because that will determine whether we're wise or whether we're foolish. Now, let me share just three steps that you can take that I guarantee will help you to live wisely and not foolishly and live carefully as you go throughout your days. And the first step that you can take is this. There are actually three questions that we need to ask ourselves. The first question is this. If we're unsure, we need to ask ourselves, what is truly important to God in this life? Now, you're going to find that in your Bible in different places. What is really important to God and what really isn't important to God? Or relationships are important to God. The unity of his body is desperately important to God. As I said, the the hurting and the hopeless, the homeless, the poor, the needy, justice, all of those things are important to God. So first, we need to understand and have the knowledge and information about what's important to God. The second question we need to ask ourselves, how well does my my life reflect what's important to God? Now, that's a question you've got to be brave to, to ask and then honestly answer. How well... Does my daily life, my choices, my behaviors, my relationships, how well does all of that reflect what's important to God? Because the discrepancy or the difference between what's important to God and how that's reflected in my life, that's kind of the foolishness gap. It's to that degree that we're not living wisely. We want to apply what we know to the choices we make in everyday life. So, for example... All of us on a daily basis have choices with spare time. Now, we think we're so busy, we don't have any spare time. But yet, somehow we find time to watch, on average, hours of television a week. Those are choices that we make. Now, the choices that we make based on the programming we watch, does that reflect what's important to God? Or is that an absolute waste of time? It's a choice. We could be reading God's Word. We could be nurturing a relationship. We could be serving another person. 
We could be recreating or recreating ourselves through exercise or a whole lot of different things. But for whatever reason, we make these choices. We need to ask ourselves, how well does my life and my choices reflect what's important to God, that knowledge that we have? And then thirdly, the third question is, what needs to change in my life to better reflect what's important to God? What are those areas in my life that I really need to change so that I can better reflect what's important to God in in the way that I use my time and the choices that I make? And I guarantee you that if you will do or ask those three questions and answer those on a regular basis, maybe weekly or monthly, you will begin to live carefully and you will be able, begin to walk with true wisdom that will have a significant impact on the way that you live your life. If we want to make the most of every minute, we've got to begin walking with wisdom. That means applying the knowledge that we have about God to the choices we make and the way we use that unrenewable resource of time that God has given us. But there's a second step. And the second step is we need to then redeem our time, not just walk with wisdom, but redeem our time. Listen again, verses 15 through 17. Paul says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That, that little phrase there, I don't know why they translate it this way, because in the original Greek language, it literally means to redeem the time. When Paul says, make the most um, of every minute or make the most of every opportunity, what he's really saying is redeem the time. Now, we all know that to redeem something is what? It's to buy it back. It's to pay for something. And if your car gets towed away and it's put in a a police lot, what do you have to do? You have to redeem your car. You have to make a sacrifice, pay some money so that you can get it out of that car prison. That's redeeming something. When we went through the period of slavery here in the United States and, and slaves were redeemed, they were in many cases, literally purchased out of slavery and given their freedom. And the thing about redeeming something is that it always requires a sacrifice on the person who is doing the redeeming. It always costs you something to redeem something else. And that is absolutely true when it comes to redeeming our time. Do you realize that much of our time is enslaved by things that are not positive. That are not really all that useful or helpful in helping us to do what God wants us to do. And if we're going to make the most of every minute, it means that in certain cases we are going to have to redeem some of our time. At great sacrifice to ourselves, we will have to buy back some of that time that is enslaved by unhealthy habits and choices and practices that waste and fritter away our time. If we're truly serious about making the most of every minute. 
And again, that has to do with that applied knowledge, applying our knowledge. And Paul says, why should we redeem the time? Why should we buy it back from some of these things that have enslaved our time? Because the days are evil. That's a reference to moral decay, moral decay and decline. See, the nature of this world in its fallen state is it is continually decaying. It's not getting better. I mean, you just have to watch the news about global warming and how we as humans have, you know, spit so much stuff into the atmosphere in just 200 years that things are changing. And the days are evil. The Bible even says in Romans 8 that even the earth is in need of redemption. It's declining. Maybe the fact that the earth is slowing down at the rate of one one thousandth of a second every day is another indicator that it's just declining. And because the days are declining, because we live in an evil age in the sense where decay and moral decay is taking place, we need to make sure that we're redeeming our time so that we can use it wisely for what God wants us to do. I think the very nature of our culture encourages us to waste our time, to waste it on absolutely you know, banal, just meaningless kinds of things where we wake up the next day and go, really, what did I do yesterday? Well, I watched Oprah and I watched this and I did this and I did the crosswords and I, you know, now I'm not saying any of that is necessarily bad. All I'm saying is, does those do those things reflect what God wants us to do? You know, let me ask you a very personal kind of step on the toes kind of question. And that is, what are some of the things that have enslaved some of your time? How is some of your time enslaved right now? Time that you could, with sacrifice and with a choice, buy back and redeem for use in what God wants you to do. And to live a life more consistent with his principles and what you know already to be true. What we honored here this morning, that that caring ministry in that nursing center, that is a perfect example of redeeming time, time that could be spent in other ways. But it's being invested in hurting and hopeless people who need to hear the truth, who need someone with just their arm around them and a prayer and support and encouragement. We know that that's important to God. That is walking wisely. And making the most of every minute. And I know many of us are engaged in those kinds of behaviors and those kinds of ministries. But still, we need to constantly ask ourselves, what is it that I'm allowing to enslave my time and keep me from, and keeping me from doing what I know the Lord wants me to do? And so we need to constantly be asking ourselves those questions. You know, maybe for us it is something like television. Maybe it's sports and our hobbies. Maybe it's our recreational activities that have enslaved so much of our time. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of those are bad. I think they're all, in a sense, necessary. The question is, how much time are we allowing or giving to those different pursuits as opposed to other pursuits that might be even more in line with what God wants us to do? We need to constantly be asking ourselves those questions. You know, John Irving is a guy who has really learned to redeem his time. 
Because for the past 25 years, John Irving has been on death row in Parchman Prison in Minnesota. I mean, in Mississippi. And it's very interesting, this guy, John Irving, because in this Parchman Prison on death row, all of the cells are very tiny, dingy, poorly lit, and virtually all of the prisoners spend their days on their little bunks, wrapped in a blanket in a dingy cell, watching the little black and white prison issue TV that they're given, literally just wasting away their lives until their sentence is served out. But that's not how John Irving is living. Once he got to prison, John Irving heard the gospel of Christ for the first time and accepted Jesus Christ as personal savior. And even though he knew he would never get out of prison and that one day he might likely be executed for his crime, he decided he was going to begin redeeming every minute he had left and living wisely, making the most of every moment and every opportunity God gave him while he was still alive. So his room, his prison cell is brightly lit. It's full of books. He has no television in his room because he is studying for the ministry. He wants to become a pastor to his fellow death row mates. In fact, someone asked him, John, could we get you a television? He says, you kid, I don't want a television. A guy can waste an awful lot of time watching television. And I've got a mission to accomplish here. And with every day that God gives me until my crime, my sentence is served or until I die, I'm going to be ministering to my fellow death row inmates. Here's a guy that's redeeming his time when many people would say, what's the use? Just kind of bide my time till I die or my sentence is served. But John Irving is making the most of every minute, even as a death row inmate. Let me just share two action steps. Two action steps that you could take this week and truly begin to make the most of every minute here in 2007. And the first action step is this. I'd really challenge you and encourage you to keep a log for just one month of how you use your time. It's a very sobering practice. I've done it on many occasions. It's kind of like logging all of the food that you eat. You know, most of us live in denial. We're masters of denial. We think, oh, well, I didn't eat that much or what I did eat wasn't that caloric. It wasn't that fattening. Until you start writing it all down on a daily basis and you look at it and go, wow. When you start adding it all up, that cupcake, that bowl of ice cream, that little snack. I mean, all of a sudden you realize, no wonder I can't lose weight. The same is true with our time. You start logging how you use your time, let's say in half hour increments. And truly, obviously, if you're not going to be honest, the whole exercise is pointless. If you're going to kind of just continue to kid yourself and, you know, what you uh, how you use your time. But log your time. It'll be very, very informative and help you to make some wise choices and decisions that would better able you to make the most of every minute. And then what I would encourage you is action step number two. Make it a point this coming week to redeem just a little bit of your time. Make a little sacrifice just this week to buy back some of your time that's been enslaved by maybe an unhealthy practice or something that's really not benefiting you, not benefiting the kingdom, not building relationships. Maybe just one little choice to redeem some time this week. A very practical step you could take and then use it for something that you know God wants you to do. And that could be recreation, you know, uh, recreating your body in a sense. It could be exercise. It could be even taking a nap, maybe. 
Maybe doing something with a neighbor, building a relationship, reading a good book, reading the Bible, praying, journaling. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities that you could use that redeemed time for. But this week, why not make a choice to just redeem a little bit of your time with a little sacrifice, buy it back so that you can use it for God's glory and the advancement of his purposes in your life. You know, Winston Churchill once said this. He said, there comes a special moment in everyone's life, a moment for which that person was born. That special opportunity, when he seizes it, will fulfill his mission, a mission for which he is uniquely qualified. It is his finest hour. You know, I am absolutely convinced that God has created all of us for a purpose to make an eternal difference for him and his kingdom. Let's make sure that we're not just blindly crashing through the field of life unwisely so that we miss the opportunities that God has given us to take hold of, to fulfill the purpose for which he uniquely created us. Let's make sure that in 2007, all of us who are disciples of Jesus are making the most of every minute so that we can glorify him even with our time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are such a practical God. Father, we thank you for Paul's words to the Christians in Ephesus who lived in very evil days, who knew what their, that their culture was decaying and crumbling. Father, the Ephesian believers knew how easily it was to get their time enslaved to other pursuits that maybe satisfied some of their fleshly or human desires, but, Father, frankly, didn't promote your kingdom, your values, what's important to you. Father, I pray here that at Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church, we would be followers of Jesus who are taking seriously the need to make the most of every unrenewable minute that you've given us so that we might live a life of purpose and find fulfillment in all that we do. And we pray that you would make this happen in Jesus' name. Amen.